So as I said at the beginning of Mass, the bishop has asked us to explain what this synod is. The official synod started last weekend at St. Peter's Basilica with Pope Francis' Mass. And a synod typically is a gathering of all the bishops around the world. And typically they gather together for some sort of specific theme. Or maybe they're going to set a kind of a trajectory for the church, like different areas that we need to focus on. We did that in this diocese um, maybe 15 years back. We had a diocesan senate, and the Bishop Blair at the time used it as a way to kind of figure out what are the top areas we need to focus our energies on as a, as a, as a diocese, and you know how to go about doing that. But this senate is kind of different because it's not just going to have bishops and cardinals. It's also going to be having lay people and um, different uh, from different walks of life in uh, different countries, um, uh, ethnical diversity, all sorts of um, uh, different uh, perspectives. And the synod is a synod on really being a synod. And like trying to figure out um, how to bring everybody together, and I'll explain that um, in in a second. Um, Normally, well, it's it's a three-year process. So the first two years are going to be preparation of the local churches all around the world, and then they bring their information and their people to uh, the synod that happens in Rome three years from now. Now, we really don't know, nor has the Pope said, what direction he's going in. Um, There's no context yet. We haven't been told, like, these are the questions you know we should talk about, or these are the themes. Um, We don't know yet. Pope Francis, when he gave his homily, I'm going to highlight some ideas of this. He kind of talks in a more general uh, area, so we don't really fully know what his uh, concrete objective is yet. I'm going to read, after a little bit of his homily, I'm going to give an explanation from a Vatican uh, theologian uh, and what he thinks is the concept of this synod on uh, synodality. Um, And then after I explain that, we'll have a little prayer together, and then uh, I'll touch lightly on the gospel of today. So first, uh, the Pope's uh, homily from last week. So he opens up his uh, talk saying that Jesus is on a journey where he walks alongside people. He shows us that God is not not found in neat and orderly places, distant from reality, but walks ever at our side. He meets us where we are, on the often rocky roads of life. Today, as we begin this synod process, let us begin by asking ourselves, all of us, Pope, Bishop, Priest, Religious Lady, whether we, the Christian community, embody this style of God, who travels the paths of history and shares in the life of humanity. Are we prepared for the adventure of this journey, Or are we fearful of the unknown, preferring to take refuge in the usual excuse, it's useless, or we've always done it this way? So he's kind of setting setting the the landscape here of, we have to be a church that gets into the rocky roads of life. And all that entails. And he said, there's three kind of aspects he wants us, he, he focused on his homily. Encounter, listen, and discern. First encounter, uh, the Lord is not one who stands aloof. He's open to encounter. Anybody that comes to him, 
he sits and listens and encounters him. And, he, and the Pope says, we have to become experts in the art of encounter. Not so much by organizing events or theorizing about problems, as in taking time to encounter the Lord and one another. Time to devote to prayer and adoration, that form of prayer that we often so neglect. Devoting time to adoration and to hearing what the Spirit wants to say to the church. Time to look others in the eye and listen to what they have to say. To build rapport. To be sensitive to the questions of our sisters and brothers. To let ourselves be enriched by the very variety of charisms, vocations, and ministries. Every encounter, as we know, calls for openness, courage, and a willingness to let ourselves be challenged by the presence and the stories of others. So that's the idea. He wants everybody to be encountering each other, where we are, understanding, being open, and to not run away from that encounter because it's uncomfortable or unknown. Then second, listen. Christ doesn't give, uh, when he encountered, if you remember last week, the rich young man uh, uh, passage, Christ did not uh, shoo him away. He didn't give him a non-committal reply or offer a pre-packaged solution. He did not pretend to respond politely simply as a way of di dismissing him and continuing on his way. Jesus listens to him with his heart and not just with his ears. And the Pope continues, are we good at listening? How good is the hearing of our heart? Do we allow people to express themselves, to walk in faith even though they have had difficulties in life, and to be part of the life of the community without being hindered, rejected, or judged. How much judgment goes on? How much judgment? He says, um, we have to take the same path as the Word made flesh. And that means listening to the Holy Spirit. He always surprises us to suggest fresh new paths and new ways of speaking. Let us not soundproof our hearts. So you encounter, and then you listen from the heart. And that's, um, that takes time. It takes commitment. And that's what I think our Holy Father is trying to say with this whole synod process. And the final thing is to discern. The synod is a process of spiritual discernment, of ecclesial discernment, that unfolds in adoration and prayer and a dialogue with the Word of God. The word that summons us to discernment and it brings light to that process. It guides the Senate, preventing it from becoming a church convention, a study group, or a political gathering, a parliament, but rather a grace-filled event, a process of healing guided by the Spirit. So that's the essence of what he said. Now, as I said, you know, there weren't very specific points. It's kind of a general kind of concept of listening, encountering and trying to be on the rocky road of life with everybody. That's our mission as church. Now there's a Vatican um, theologian that kind of, he's on the inside baseball with all this, and he kind of brings it out a little, in a little more scholarly way, and I just want to read a little bit of what he said so you understand uh, the point. The core behind the Senate is the centrality of the ecclesiology of the people of God which was first introduced by Vatican Council II and has been emphasized many times by Pope Francis. This idea implies that the relationship between the people of God and church is not hierarchical anymore, that is differentiated, but 
peri, meaning implies the bishops need religious and lay people to accomplish their mission in the church. This is what co-responsibility is about. So as you know, with Vatican Council II, it really brought in the role of the lay people to make us together, not we the hierarchical guys running everything and you just sit there and you know uh, pray and give us money to get work done. It's not that. We're in this together. And not only do we need your prayer and, yes, your financial support, but we need you, need you part of the mission. And so this is the, the kind of the idea of um, the Synod, to take the, what was began in Vatican Council II and try to, I think, structure it. That's just my own opinion. And this is just the opinion of this, of this theologian, but I'm just trying to help you understand on a deeper level. And the other thing is um, they're going to be bringing theologians into the process as well, not just uh, bishops. And so it's not just a theoretical thing and then like how do we implement it? They're trying to integrate the two, which I think is a smart idea. And then finally he says this uh, Senate is about diversity, a real dialogue between different sensitivities in the church through a consensus process, talking about this, encounter, listening, what the Pope said. All right, so that's that. I'm, I hope that I didn't bore you in explaining that, but the, uh, our uh, bishop wanted us to go into that. So we have a prayer I want to say together. And um, if we could all do it together, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We stand before you, Holy Spirit, as we gather together in your name. With you alone to guide us, make yourself at home in our hearts. Teach us the way we must go and how we are to pursue it. We are weak and sinful. Do not let us promote disorder. Do not let ignorance lead us down the wrong path, nor partiality influence our actions. Let us find in you our unity, so we may journey together to eternal life and not stray from the way of truth and what is right. All this we ask of you, who are at work in every place and time, in the communion of the Father and the Son, forever and ever. Amen. And finally, um, you know, in these types of sentences, there's always some people that say, yes, finally, we're going in this, this direction, even though we don't really know exactly what direction that is. And then there's other people that say, oh, no, that's a bad direction. Um, be at peace. The Holy Spirit's with the church. He's guided us for over 2,000 years. Whatever this is going to be, the Holy Spirit will guide it through the midst of all of our brokenness and all of the difficulties. So be at peace, and let's pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us and us here at St. Anthony's. All right, finally, I'm going to brush on the, on the gospel. Do you remember how the gospel began today? The sons of Zebedee went to Jesus, and how did they begin their dialogue, their encounter? How did they begin? They said, do for us whatever we ask of you. Whenever we begin a petition to God where we say, we want God to do what I want, ipso facto, that's a bad situation. You don't tell God what to do. You don't demand from him. But remember, like Martha did that too. Tell Mary to help me. Don't you see? We have to go when we go into prayer, to go from the ego drama that focused on me, 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 my ego, to the theodrama. God directs. 
not me. The correct way is to say, like Samuel, speak, Lord, I am listening. That's the reversal that's essential in biblical theology. And then, what do they ask for? It's kind of a gutsy uh, petition. Grand and glory will sit at your left and right. St. Thomas Aquinas, he said, um, when God isn't the center of your life, there's four substitutes we make for when there's a hole there where God should be. And that is either we search for wealth, pleasure, power, or honor. Now, those four things are not bad. They're bad when they become the center where God's supposed to be. Because you can use all those things in a good way, a good way that God ordained it. He wanted them to be used for. But without that, but if you make that the center, that's where everything falls apart. And that's exactly what John and James are doing. They wanted the throne of glory. They wanted the honor and the power. Those were the substitutes that they were making for Jesus. They wanted to be part of that messianic glory. And humans from the dawn of creation have been attracted to these four substitutes. As I said, they're good in themselves. Power is the thing to get things done and to get things done for good. Uh, Lincoln seized power to save the country. Uh, Churchill, same thing. Um, Pope, uh, Saint Pope John Paul II, he seized power to bring down communism. Those are all good things. Nothing wrong with that. And same way with, um, with honor. Honor is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But remember, honor is the flag of virtue. We honor those who do great things, like these saints up here. When we honor them, it's not really feeding their ego. It's me saying, I want to be like them, to follow their legacy. So the problem is not seeking these things. The problem is it was in the wrong way, in the wrong spirit. When ego grabs power and honor for itself, it's dangerous and dysfunctional rapidly, almost immediately. You know, if you, you ask a politician, you know, why do you want to be in this position? The danger is if they want it for themselves. Because then that's where all the manipulation and they become, uh, when, when a spiritually immature person comes into power, they wreak havoc very fast. Manipulation comes into, uh, into picture. They become cruel, oppressive. Power is supposed to be used by the most virtuous, the most Christ-like. If you remember uh, Joseph, uh, Abraham's son, uh, he was immature um, in his youth. I mean, Israel's son. He was immature in his youth, but he got sold into slavery. And then he providentially became second in command of, the, of Egypt. And he exercised his power with great justice and mercy. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. The more absolute and twisted that power becomes, the more corrupt. We become less free the more we are slaves to honor or whatever substitute you're trying to make. Your whole life becomes beholding other people. If you're seeking honor and praise vanity, if the crowd does not like them, they're not happy. These saints are the freest people ever. These saints are the happiest people ever. Did they have easy lives? No, sir. Did they have bad crosses? Yes. But they had God in the center of their life. And the way out of this is what Jesus did at the, at the very end. He took a little child and placed it in their midst. 
In the culture of Christ at the time, kids had no power, no honor. The child is not addicted to these for his own sake. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to be the slave of all. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. This is spiritual common sense. When you serve others, you become the least. You're accessing the real honor, the honor that Christ showed there when we serve and sacrifice out of love for each other. That's honor. That's real power. And that is what we're called to do, to seek power for God's sake, to seek honor for God's sake.